We have lit the Advent candle of love this morning, so since it is about love, it's an appropriate time for me to respond to a request. I think we have a couple of pictures back there, Derek. Yes, okay, there we are. I had a request the day before our wedding, October 7th, the day before the 8th, and we were married. A group of you after the service said, we want to see pictures and we want to see them on the screen. So we were married at the Acadia Chapel in Wolfville on October 8th. There were just 32 of us, a very intimate wedding, our family all around us, immediate family and a couple of friends. Uh, we took everyone out to the Old Orchard Inn for dinner. Um, I have said, I can't, I just can't imagine how I could have made the day any more perfect. And the second picture is my favorite, if you want to put that one back up. That's us. Uh, Wayne is just constantly looking out for me, holding my hand, making sure I'm not going to trip on the stairs or whatever. And, uh, so just, uh, there are wedding pictures, a couple of them that are very special. So, request, request answered. That is a segue this morning into our teaching on the Advent candle. Of love. And I'm going to say to you this morning, this is a hard message. Hard message for me to get personally. It always has been. And since there are books written about how to receive the love of Jesus Christ for ourselves, I know I'm not alone in some of the things that I'm going to be sharing this morning. Brennan Manning has written a book entitled The Furious Longing of God. And when we think of God, we really can't imagine. He's made everything. He's created all things. What would he ever want? What would God ever long for? And I am going to be quoting a number of writers this morning. They put into words some things, some thoughts, better than I can express them. But when Manning writes about the furious longing of God, it's not an angry furious in any way. It's an intense longing. Manning says, quote, God has an intense, consuming love for us, a love that knows no limits, no boundaries, a love that will go to any lengths, go to take any risks, a love that is a no-holds-barred, Radical love for us. He wants us to know and receive his love. Know and receive it. Manning says few of us really have received that. So I pray this morning that we will take a step on that journey towards God's longing for us to know and receive his love. Before I continue, I do highly recommend uh, Brennan Manning, this book, The Furious Longing of God. It's one that I hope I will always have on my bookshelf, and that is Abba's Child, written by him. I haven't read yet The Ragamuffin Gospel. I want to read that, but he is a great writer if you're looking for a great uh, biblical writer. And if I could have a theme for this morning, it would be this, Love Changes Everything. Love changes everything. Hear this description of really knowing and receiving God's love. Brendan says it will determine why and at what time we get up in the morning, how we pass our evenings, how we spend our weekends, what we read, who we hang with. It will affect what breaks our heart, what amazes us, and what makes our hearts happy. Well, I was working on this message Monday night, and I was stumped. I was stalled. I had nothing. I thought about love in our culture, and what have we done with it? And I think most of us would agree we have redefined love in our culture in ways that bring a very wrong meaning to the word love. 
We've also trivialized it. We use the word to describe everything and every emotion. I love this. I love doing that. We've come to rely on loving people and things, and we say that we don't feel complete unless we have those things. And sometimes we as Christians tend to kind of set ourselves apart a little bit from all of that, and we can get very critical and very judgmental, can't we, about the secular world and their take on love, and tisk tisk we say. And we talk about the unconditional love of God. But what have we done with the unconditional love of God? What does it mean to us really? Have we let the unconditional love of God make a change in our lives, a change like that quote, that it will affect what breaks our heart and what amazes us and what makes our hearts happy? Well, last Monday night I was stumped. What did God want me to hear? What did he want me to share about love today? And Monday night, my poor husband, I interrupted a TV show he was trying to watch, and I went into a spiel. And I said, God can't get through to us in our culture. I said, God is longing for us to know and receive his love, but we think we have everything we need here in North America, so we don't even know that we need God. And I was on a roll. And I shared with Wayne two stories that I had just read as I was trying to get something for this morning, and they're both from Manning's book. And the first story is about Manning himself. And he had been in the priesthood, but he had become an alcoholic. And it was April Fool's Day, 6.30 a.m. in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And he had lived on the streets for a year and a half. And he woke up in a doorway, and someone had even stolen his shoes the night before. Someone probably wanted them to buy a bottle of wine. And there was a woman coming down the street, a young woman. She had a little boy about four years old by the hand, but the little boy broke away and ran over to the doorway and stared down at Manning. And the mother rushed in and put her hands over her son's eyes, and she said, Don't look. Don't look at that filth, pure filth. And she kicked Manning so hard it broke two of his ribs. But as he continues his book, his story, Manning says that Jesus met him in the grounds of his own self and furiously loved him regardless of his state. And he came to know and receive God's love for himself. And the book tells another story. It's a Christmas story about a young man by the name of Larry. And his father was a no-nonsense, highly disciplined Irish man, so everything had to be just so in that household. And Larry showed up for Christmas, as he usually did, smelling very much like a billy goat. And their relationship, father and son, was one of constant quarrels and trying to reconcile. Christmas vacation over, it was time for Larry to return to campus and his studies, so his father accompanied him to the bus. But there were some men there in the community, and they saw them, and they started this tirade. If I had a son like that, I'd be hiding him in the basement. No, 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 I'd be kicking him out the door. And in that moment, for the first time in his life, His father reached out and embraced Larry. And he said, Larry, if your mother and I lived to be 200 years old, that would not be long enough to thank God for the gift that he has given us in you. I am so proud that you are my son. 
And transformation happened in that moment and healing happened when Larry received that love. And Larry became a top student. He came to know and receive God's love for himself. He became a missionary in South America. So, I was saying, Brennan got it. Larry got healed by it. But we don't get it. And Wayne's wise and insightful reply, so you're saying that we can only discover God's love through pain? I went back to the drawing board because that wasn't it. I knew it. Yes, God can use very painful times and experiences in our lives, but that's not his plan. He created us to know love and to know joy, and we were meant to know and receive his love right from the start, ourselves. God doesn't have grandchildren to receive it ourselves without having to find our way through pain. And that should be genuinely showing in the lives of us who are Christians. The joy of the love, knowing and receiving God's love. So Manning says a gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms. And Greg read it this morning from Scripture. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And yet we have to admit sometimes to this quote, do we not, that nothing in all of religious history has done Christianity more harm than its connection to wearing black clothing and having long faces. How have we gone from the love and joy of knowing and receiving God's love to black clothing and long faces? And we could add to that our quarrels amongst us and wanting our own way and it's all being all about us. Could part of the answer be in how we perceive God? Would we have to admit this morning that we picture God as a small-minded bookkeeper, a niggling customs officer rifling through our moral suitcase, a policeman with a club who's going to bat us over the head every time we stumble and fall, or as whimsical, capricious, cantankerous, delighting in raining on our parade and stealing our joy. Do we see God that way sometimes? The answer has to be no. It flatly denies who who God is. John wrote, God is love. To us in our world, love is a, a wonderful virtue. To God, love is his identity. So going back to our scripture passage, what did Jesus have to say about this? Well, in the Gospel of John, we have several chapters that are called the final discourses of Jesus. The verses Greg read were part of that. Jesus is having his final meal before his crucifixion there at the table with his disciples. And Jesus knew that there were things that he had to say, things that his disciples just needed to hear and understand. So he washes their feet to teach teach them humility, the heart of love that serves rather than waiting to be served. And then he tells them that the bread and the wine that they are having represent his body and his lifeblood that he's going to be giving for them because he says a true friend gives his life for his friend. And Jesus was going to be giving that ultimate expression. 
But Jesus was not selective that night. It was for all of them. He loved Judas, and he gave the bread and the wine to Judas, who was going to betray him to be crucified. He loved Peter. He washed Peter's feet, and he explained things to Peter, knowing that Peter was going to deny three times that he even knew Jesus. He loved all of them, knowing that each and every one of them was going to run away and desert him in just a matter of hours when he was arrested. And yet he said to all of them, and he says to us, I am the vine of life. Don't get separated from me. You know that when a branch gets separated from the vine, it dries up, and it's just thrown away. Don't let that happen, Jesus says. Stay with me. More than that, live in me, and let me live in you, and I will never leave you or forsake you. I hope we can hear that this morning. And I hope that we can hear that our Bible, God's Word, is a love letter. And I know that there are some who could argue about God's love. And you could say that sometimes it doesn't look very much like love, things that we read, things that happen. And I could go and research commentaries and come back and have answers, but still you would find them unsatisfactory because you've turned your mind off to him. So rather than hearing and receiving God's love, you will decide, no, you don't want him in your life like that. On the other side, some of you know this book very, very well. Some of you are going to be doing the Eat This Book Challenge. And on the front of the material, this promotion for Eat This Book, it says, a head full of biblical knowledge without a heart passionately in love with Christ is terribly dangerous. It's so important to take God's book in its entirety and hear God's love letter to us. Let's not miss the love letter. God longing to know and receive, for us to know and receive his love. But it's not easy what I'm saying this morning. Years ago, I was a deacon at First Baptist in Dartmouth. There were four of us in my living room, and a friend of mine, Donna, happened to come out to the kitchen with me. And all of a sudden, she just looked straight at me, and she looked right down into my soul. And she said, you can't believe that God loves you, can you? And she started to cry. She wept uncontrollably in front of me out loud. I didn't know what to say to her because I knew she was right. And her tears were so real and she knew how helpless she was. She couldn't do it for me. She knew somehow God had to. And that went on for a few years and it was a few years later that another friend spotted the same thing in me. And she gave me a copy of the book, Abba's Child, a book that invites us to hear God calling us to take the mask off and come openly to him because God longs for us to know in our depth of our being that he loves and accepts us as we are. And I still struggle. And I talked to my daughter last night. And we'll say that I'm 49 because you're not going to hear how old I am and it's not going to go on the internet either. (laughs) So I said to my daughter... I'm 49. (laughs) How many years does it take? And she said, 49 sounds good. But I'm still learning this, and preparing today's message has been another step for me in knowing and receiving God's love for me just as I am. 
And many of you know Nova. And she gave me permission to share this. And she remembers the conversation that she had with Lynn Erskine when he was here at Emmanuel. And she said she was laughing and carrying on with Lynn. And he said, isn't it wonderful when we're in love with the Lord? And Nova said it stopped her. She had been a Christian for some 15 to 20 years. And that day she realized God's love for her. And so she tells people today, I'm over the moon in love with Jesus. And we see it in her. But it has been said that sometimes it's easier to believe that God exists than that God loves us. Shannon and I talk about the busyness of Christmas, especially in our church. There was a pastor by the name of Mike, again another true story, and he had reached a place where he just felt as a pastor he was dejected, he was demoralized. He went on a five-day retreat at the Larsh community. He was hoping to draw inspiration from those at Larsh who live with mental and physical challenges, or he thought he might find some solace in the presence and the preaching of the great biblical leader, Henry Nouwen. Instead, he says, after just a few hours of silence, he began to hear his soul speaking. Have you ever heard your soul speak? And he said it took only being alone for a short period of time to discover I wasn't alone. God had been trying to shout over the noisiness of my life and I couldn't hear him. But in the stillness and solitude, his whispers shouted from my soul, Michael, I'm here. I've been calling you, but you haven't been listening. Can you hear me, Michael? I love you. I have always loved you, and I've been waiting for you to hear me say that to you. But you've been so busy trying to prove to yourself that you are loved that you haven't heard me. And Michael said that in meeting the father he knew had been looking and waiting for him, he finally accepted his own brokenness. In his words, I knew I was broken. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I continually disappointed God. But I could never accept that part of me. It was part of me that embarrassed me. I continually felt the need to deny who I was and concentrate on who I thought I should be. I was broken, yes, but I was continually trying never to be broken again. Can we hear that this morning? How many of us are trying to be good Christians? trying so hard not to admit that we're broken, admit that we feel at times that we are continually disappointing God and we can't accept that. Michael says how he came to see that he had totally misunderstood the Christian faith. He said it was in the acceptance of my lack of faith that God could give me faith. It was in the embracing of my brokenness that I could identify with others' brokenness. God's tenderness had battered the defenses that Michael had erected. We try so hard, don't we, to find our place in God's love story? Manning says that we have to stop measuring our spiritual growth. Stop measuring our spiritual growth. I had to stop and think about that, but I agree with him. And of course we have spiritual disciplines, we have spiritual formation, and we want to mature and we want to grow as followers of Jesus. But we have to stop measuring that. 
God loves us now just as we are. So I hope we can take away two thoughts from this morning's passage of Scripture. And of course there are many more. Take some time to spend time in John chapter 15. But number one, Jesus is saying we can't go it alone. Being a Christian is too hard to try to do it alone. Without me, you can do nothing, he says. We want to ask, well, why should we try? But sadly we do. Remain in my love, he says. They say absence makes the heart grow fonder. But if you think of any relationship, and there's a distance, and they never get in touch, they never text, they never email, they never write, they, they phone maybe once in a while for a very quick conversation, the relationship soon shrivels up and dies. And in the same way, our relationship with Jesus will shrivel up and die if we don't stay connected to him who is the vine of life. The one who loves us with an unfailing love wants to be in us and us in him every moment of every day, Christ in the Christian and the Christian in Christ. And the second thought in this passage of Scripture is the one another. And that's part of why we're here. We come here this morning to hear teaching. We come here this morning to worship together, yes, but we need each other. So often I say we need God and we need one another. And it's as we receive God's love that we can love others. William Barclay, as he studied these words of Jesus, uses the example of those of us who reach a point in our lives, a moment of weakness, and we make a mess of things, and we feel ourselves going down. But we have friends, and we have good friends, Christian friends who are there for us, and they help us turn around. But he says there's only one way to retain that turnaround. We have to stay in contact with our friends. If we lose that contact, chances are our weakness will overcome us again. We need continual contact, the strength from one another. We need God. We need one another. Another Bible scholar, N.T. Wright, on this passage says that we face a test of our love and our loyalty to Jesus here. And he says it's a test that is simple, it's profound, it's dangerous, and it's difficult. And it's the command that Jesus says to love one another. Love one another. Simple, profound, dangerous, and difficult. But still Jesus calls us to love one another. So what would it look like if we really heard the longing, the furious longing of our Father for us to know and receive his love? Well, this day before Christmas Eve, I know many of you are working from lists and trying to get them completed. Last week I gave you a list on joy, so here's one on love. And these are not my words. But if we knew and received the love of God that he has for us, the drumbeats of doom in our heads would be replaced by a song in our hearts. We will not be dependent on the company of others to ease our loneliness, for he is Emmanuel, God with us. And the praise of others will not send our spirits soaring, nor will their criticism plunge us into a pit. Through a significant change in our hearts, we will move from, oh, I should pray, I must pray. And we will live with an awareness that God not only loves us as us, but that he likes us too. And we will stop comparing ourselves with others. 
But in the same way, we will not trumpet our own importance and boost our victories or feel superior to anyone. And we will read and believe and see God dancing for joy because of us. And that's in Scripture. That's in Zephaniah. And off and on throughout the day, we will just know that we are being seen by Jesus with a gaze of infinite tenderness. We've made it all so complicated, haven't we? As we prepare to sing in a moment what we often call a children's song, but it's not a children's song at all, Jesus loves me. Will we know and receive his love with a childlike faith? Let's pray. Our loving God, your love is not just a virtue, it is your identity. And you long for us to receive, to know and to receive your love. If there's anyone here this morning who has just kept a barrier up and a door closed, I pray that that barrier will come down and the door will open. For those of us, Lord, who just need to rekindle and recommit and refine that love, many of us, God, need to hear it and know it in a new and a deeper way. Thank you. Thank you, God, for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.